All right. Good morning, everybody. I want to congratulate all of you who are managing to make it through the croup that is working its way through everyone I seem to know uh, in the general vicinity as everyone's had colds and uh, and whatnot. I appreciate uh, you being able to be here. I'm thankful that you are. If you have your Bibles, let's turn, though, to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, for the last couple of weeks now, we've been talking about the will of God as we've been looking at how to pray. How does the Bible teach us to pray? What does the Bible teach us uh, about prayer? And here we are in this uh, third request of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the third thing that we're asking for, which is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or that our heavenly Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here we are looking at the will of God, and, and the will of God is a subject that we as Christians, uh, we like to talk about. Uh, some people really like to talk about, some people don't want to talk about it at all. If they do talk about it, they want to speak about the will of God in sort of hushed tones, right? Because we don't want to, we don't want to end up doing anything to, to become outside of that will. The will of God is seen as something mysterious, even frightening. Uh, the idea being that God has some will for your life that you don't know, that you can't know, that the choices you make will either put you in that will and lead to great blessing or out of that will that God had for you and, and lead to some, some horrible outcome. And in the end, Christians just become another form of mystics, uh, just sort of trying to divine the divine mind, uh, trying to figure out God's will by the, the blowing of the wind or by some sort of perceived signs that they see all in an effort to know uh, God's will. But that's not how the Bible talks about God's will. So I guess we could say it's God's will for you not to think of his will that way. Uh, and so we at least know, uh, we at least know that we saw the Bible speak about God's will, two distinct ways, which are going to be important again today. The, the secret will of God, this is stemming from Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret will of God, the things that we don't know about, the things that God has not told us about, is not planning on telling us about, although many of them were revealed. Many of, much of this secret will was revealed where? In Christ. Uh, a lot of the things that God had said, but we didn't know how he was going to do that specifically, is revealed in him. Uh, those are things that, that, uh, that aren't contingent upon us, actions that he takes that we may never know about. And so we saw, how do I pray God's will be done when I don't know what his will is? When it's the secret will of God. When I know that it might, as we saw, it might involve my suffering. Uh, it might involve my death. How do I pray or the death of someone I love? How do I pray for God's secret will to be done when, I, when it's a secret? And so we saw the importance of needing to be humble, uh, that we are not God, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're not in control of our lives. It's a good thing, and that we can trust God. God is in control, and he is good. He can be trusted. He has proven himself. And then we saw that we need to make sure that we're glorying or recognize that we will give glory, no matter what comes our way. The out end outcome for that life, uh, for God's will for our life, is glory, both for us and for him. It is, it is a grace to us. It is glory to us. It is glory uh, to him. But that's not the only will of God we looked at in Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, that's not the, the will that even Deuteronomy 29, 29 focuses the most on. We, we're now looking at, the, we, talked, or we talked about the revealed will of God. 
uh, that God does reveal much of his will and expects us to do it. He reveals it, one, because he's God. That's what a God does. Uh, He reveals his will to his people. Uh, And so where does God reveal his will? Not in the blowing of leaves, not in the whisper of trees, uh, not, not in the clouds, not in chicken bones uh, or anything like that. Where does he reveal his will? In his word. Uh, and he reveals his will in his son. So those are where we saw that God's will is revealed. Uh, everything. So and we saw everything that we need to know to make Godward decisions with our life. Every decision that you come to say, what is the Godward way to live? Those choices have been revealed to us. God has revealed to us the actions that we should take, the principles that should guide us for everything that pertains to life and godliness. It has all been given to us in Christ and in his uh, word. So everything you need to live a life pleasing to God, everything you need to know, which door do I go through? Which way do I choose? God has revealed all that you need to make a Godward decision. Uh, We can know it and we can do it. Uh, but the prayer isn't just for God's will to be done. The prayer is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we don't just want, we don't just want God's will to be known, right? It's not just God. We want your will to be known. And so, oh, you can't know it. That's the secret will or he's revealed it. It's not just that we want God's will to be known. We want his will to be done. Now, now some people will see this prayer, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They'll see this prayer and they'll say, well, this means that God's will isn't done. And so that's why we're having to pray this because it's not being done. I remember I had this conversation. Uh, I, I remember talking with uh, about uh, the sovereignty of God uh, with someone and they kept saying, hey, if God is sovereign, then Jesus wouldn't have us pray your will be done. Uh, and others will say, well, 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 because we have to pray this, this must mean that God's will isn't being done maybe here on earth, but someday it will be. And so that's why we're having to pray this. And and that's simply not the case. The fact that we're praying this does not mean either of those things. As we've already seen, every one of these petitions in the Lord's prayer is a prayer that has always is being and will be answered by the Lord. The fact that we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the fact that we ask for this doesn't mean that it doesn't yet take place. We've seen that biblically already. We've already seen that we pray hallowed be your name and that God has always hallowed his name. God is hallowing his name right now and God will continue to expand the hallowing of his name we saw the same thing in prayers for the kingdom we saw your kingdom come but yet we saw what that God said he has never not been reigning he has always been in control he has always been king over all kings and lord over all lords but just apply and this is what I did to that person I said let's apply that same logic to the rest of these petitions Give us this day our daily bread. If we have to pray that, does that mean that that God is not doing it? And so that's why we have to pray for God to give us this day our daily bread? Or what about when we pray that our debts would be forgiven? Do we have to pray that? Does praying that mean, oh, if you have to pray it, that means it's not being done yet? Or how about don't lead us into temptation? 
Does the fact that we have to pray don't lead us into temptation mean that God is leading us into temptation? And so we have to pray and ask him not to? Of course not. The fact that we pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven doesn't mean that his will is not being done yet. In fact, today we'll see that this prayer, just like all the others, is one that has been answered, is answered, and will be answered for all time. And so let's read this prayer again and look into the question of God's will being done. Let's stand just in the honor of reading the words of our God, praying that our outward actions would would mirror our our inward ones. Beginning in, in verse 9 of Matthew 6, here's Christ's prayer that he tells us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, our prayer today is simple. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to see the, the, the confidence of that prayer, the hope of that prayer, the assurance of that prayer of a God who is sovereign in control and whose will will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so your will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. Again, uh, we're going to see here that this prayer is no different from the other prayers that we've seen. This is a prayer that, that, that is, uh, has been answered, is being answered, and will be answered uh, by the Lord when his people pray it. As we saw with the kingdom, it, it's a, the kingdom of God is the always, already, and advancing kingdom of God. Well, here the will of God is the, uh, is the always, already, and advancing will of the Lord. So today we're going to see that God's will is done. And so as we pray this, we've got to pray it with this mindset that we're not praying God's will be done in some sort of uh, pleading way as if his will is not done. There's this hopelessness. The world is sort of spiraling out of control and God wants his will to be done as much as we do. And so we're all just yearning for this to take place. God's will has been done. It is being done and God's will will be done. And for us, That's an important assurance to our hearts as we pray, even in the midst of a crooked generation, right? Uh, That we understand the power of the will and the certainty of the will of God. Now, again, it's important for us to realize that we talk about the will of God. We're talking about his secret will, the things that he's going to bring about, his appointed direction. We're talking about also his, his will for us that he has, uh, has revealed. Well, how do we know that God's will is done? How do we know that God's will is done? Well, one thing we know about that is that God's will being done is one of the things that makes God God. The fact that his will is done is what makes God God. Look at this in Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. God's going to say, hey, this is, what, this, is, this is just what is true because I am the Lord, because I am God. Beginning at verse 9. Remember the former things of old? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So he is God, no other God, no one like him. And in what way? 
does he show that he is God and no one else is? What makes God God? Beginning in verse 10, he tells us, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So here we see that God's will is done. It has been done since the beginning, since ancient times of old. From the beginning, God declared what the end would be. Not because he sees it, which is what some people will say because they don't read the whole verse. Not just because he sees it. He's just not just, he's not just able to stand back and be the great prognosticator, right? And say, well, I can see all the various choices and where it's all going to lead. And I'm just, he's not just the best guesser, if you want to know something not to look into that'd be like open theism he's not just the best guesser at what's going to happen he doesn't just see it he declares it because he is going to bring it about he declares it because his will will be accomplished declaring then from the beginning for ancient time things not done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish it. And, and, and in what areas does he say his will will be accomplished? It's really funny that people will say, they will talk about the sovereignty of God and they will choose to make God sovereign in certain areas, right? Well, God's sovereign in this. He's sovereign in that. He's sovereign over this. But there'll be other areas he's like, but that, he just, you know, he just does all he can, you know? And he's just, he's up there, man, he is he is just as frustrated as you, buddy. Uh, and what areas does God say his counsel stands in? What purposes of his does he accomplish? What does he say? I will accomplish all my purpose. God says all of his purposes will be accomplished. There's no purpose of God that has not stood. He says, my counsel shall stand. There's no purpose of God that has not stood. No will of God that did not happen. In fact, God's will being done is one of the things that makes him God and separates him from the idols. Because the idols can't do this. Right? And the idols and their false gods behind them, they, they've got no power. So if you look at Psalm 135, look at Psalm 135. This, he's going to say, look, this is what, this is, and this idea is repeated several times. He's even repeated again in Isaiah, but I like the Psalm 135 part here. Look at what he says. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. In Hebrew, there should be, you know, quotation marks around that gods. Uh, all, I, I, can imagine, I can imagine the psalmist singing it and doing, doing air quotes like this as, he, as he's singing it. Above all gods, whatever the Lord pleases, what? He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas, all deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth. 
who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations, killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Jump down to verse 15 now. The idols, and now he's going to compare, what, what about the idols? The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. So, God is saying, if his will is not done, God is no different than the idols of the nations. This is a comparison he's making. He's saying, look, I'm God. I accomplish everything, anything that I please, I do. For in heaven and on earth, the deep, the seas, if I want to do it, I do it because I am God. If it is the bringing of clouds, they come. If it, is the, if it is the striking of lightning, that is my will. If it is the wind, that is my will. But not just in natural occurring events either. He says, who struck down the firstborn of both man and beast, of both child and beast in Egypt? It was me. Who is it that brought down mighty nations? Who is it that brought to you Israel? The, the inheritance of these nations to you as a blessing. It was me. Why? Because I pleased to do it. And if I want to do it, no one stops me. Because I'm God. I'm not like one of your idols who has no will, who can accomplish nothing, who you have to make, who's a work of your hands. I am the Lord God and I do whatever I please. And if I please, then I can do it. His will being done is what differentiates him, not just from, uh, from the, the idols. His will being done is also what differentiates him from us. Because what does Proverbs 19.21 say? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But is the purpose of the Lord that will stand? We've got all sorts of plans. You probably had you probably had plans on how your morning was going to go today and they didn't work out. You probably had plans on how you were going to get to church and all the wonderful songs you were going to sing as a family and how you're going to walk in with like praise garland around your head and everything was going to be great. And instead, she was probably late, right? Uh, you know, instead, something happened. Instead, the kid can't find his shoes. And you're like, why do you, where, where do you put your shoes? This is where the shoes go. Oh, I put one of them here and one of them upstairs. Why? You know, why would you, who walks around the house with one shoe on uh, and then doesn't remember that? Uh, why, Shepherd? Why? Uh, and just a totally hypothetical. Uh, 
So we've got all sorts of plans. Many, many are our plans and they fall through. They never see the light of day. And many of them that do see the light of day, the only light they actually create is the light of a backfire. Uh, because none of them, even when our plans do work, we find out that our plans were really kind of not the best plans. Uh, and we like, oh, I can't believe I thought that was going to work out well. And it didn't. But God's purpose, his plans do stand. They do not fall. It's one of the things that makes him God and not just a greater version of us. God is not just someone who has an infinite number of plans and maybe, you know, half of those are good and maybe the good plans come about or some of them and he's just up there with, a, you know, sort of better intentions than us. And No, God is not just the best of us. God is not just a better version of us. If God's will is not done, then like the idols and like our plans, if God's will is not done, then God might as well be a figment of our imagination. From God's own mouth, I mean, it's really simple. if God's will is not done, God is not God. He is no different than the idols and he is no different than you and I. If his will is not done. So we know that God's will is done. Why? Because he's God. So God's will being done is one of the things that makes him God. Remember one time, man said one of the most nonsensical things I've ever heard, that God is so sovereign as to not be sovereign. And I went, well, that's a cute little thing that you read on some blog somewhere, but that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, that God can be so much God that he chooses not to be God. Listen, if God is God, then his will is done. Whatever he does, he pleases. As he says in his word. I mean, that's just what he says in his word. But may, okay, so maybe, maybe what it is. Okay, so let's look at Maybe his will is being done in heaven. I got you now, but not on earth. That's what it is. And so when we, we pray this, what this prayer is saying is that we want God's will to be done here because it's not, but it is in heaven. I, now I see, but again, that's not what it's saying. That's not what the Bible says. It's not that God's will is done in heaven and then not done on earth, which is what some people will read this and go, uh, uh, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven and go, oh, well, that must mean it's not done on earth. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible's going to tell us that God's will is done on both heaven and earth. Now, there is some differentiation. There is some differentiation between heaven and earth and the will of God. In Psalm 115, a psalm about God's sovereignty and about his will always being done, he says this about his will in Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Now, again, it's important to us to remember that this is in a psalm about God's sovereignty and how he does everything that he wants. So there's at least a sense in which God's will is accomplished on earth in a different way than it is accomplished in heaven. But is that teaching that God's will is done in heaven, but not on earth? The Bible is going to say no. We do know this. God's will is certainly done in heaven. Right? So we're laying out what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God's will is done in heaven. So Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. Look at what it says here. Bless the Lord. 
O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do what? Who do his will. So the angels, the heavenly creatures, they obey God, all of them, it says, all his hosts, all his ministers. I mean, that's an interesting concept if you want to flesh that out later. They what? They do his will. We saw this already in Psalm 115. So that Psalm 115, where we, where we just said, the Lord says that the, 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 the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of man. What does he say in Psalm 115 verse 3? Our God is in the heavens. He what? He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, again, I, we saw that when we looked at the kingdom of God, this doesn't mean, or when we looked at our Father in heaven, this doesn't mean that God is just doing his will in heaven. It means that God is in heaven, right? He's doing what he, he pleases. There's, there's never... Uh, God is able to do everything he pleases. Whatever he wills, this he does because he is in heaven. Uh, so our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So we know at least tied to heaven, God's will is done. But what about the earth? Is it just that heaven is the place where God's will is done and on earth God's will is not done? Or maybe just that on earth God's will will one day be done, but it's not done now. Well, that's not what the scriptures say. So that could be the case if the Bible were wrong. But if the Bible is right and truthful, then God's will is done both on earth and in heaven. Well, where do we see that? Well, we actually, we actually kind of already looked at one verse, and I hope you caught it. Maybe you didn't because you thought the rest of the verses were so great. But what about Psalm 135, which we just read a moment ago? What does Psalm 135 say? Here we see that God's will is done not just in heaven, but also on earth, on heaven and earth. So when we see that in heaven and on earth, we're going to see that's just a repetition from something that the scriptures already taught us about God. So Psalm 135 verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. That sounds very similar to Psalm 115. But what does it say next? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So God doesn't just do what he wants in heaven and then the earth is sort of out of his control. He doesn't just do whatever he pleases there. God does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. So when we pray, your will be done on earth, that cannot mean that that has not happened yet. Because unless you're really bad with your Bible chronology, Matthew 6 comes after Psalm 135. So Psalm 135 says God's will is done in heaven and on earth. And Matthew 6, we're praying that same thing. We're not praying that because that's not happening. Because God has already told us that his will is being done. Not just there, but here. In fact, he tells us this from the, the, the mouths of crazy men even. Daniel talks about this, and now Daniel's not the crazy man. Uh, although there's some moments you go, man, that's crazy, but in a good godly way. Uh, in Daniel chapter 4, from this, this is one of those weird moments in Scripture where the person who gets who God is is the last person you'd expect. King Nebuchadnezzar. 
So in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, who remember, what did they praise him as? The king of kings. He is the almighty. He is, if you remember the story in Daniel 4, he's driven to madness, remember, and he goes out, he starts to eat, he's forced to eat grass like an ox, and he does it for so long that his hair like grows out like, it's so long it looks like feathers, and his fingernails get so long they're like talons. I would like to find out how long that would be. So I'm sure somewhere in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, you can see, you know, the progress of someone's talon-like nails. But when all, but, but not when all of that's done, before we get there, why did God cause that to happen? I mean, it was God's will. God tells us it was, that's why he did it. But why did God drive him to this crate? Was he trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar? What lesson? Look at Daniel 4, 32. And you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know what? Until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Who rules the kingdom of men, O king of kings, O most mighty man in all the earth? Who is it that he needs to learn rules over men, rules over that kingdom of men, God? The lesson God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar is, you want to know who's king? You want to know whose will is done? Remember, because this is, he, this is right after the fiery furnace incident and all of that. And you're going to worship me and I'm the almighty one. Do what I say. And God's saying, no, you want to know who rules? I do. And I give it to whom I will. And Nebuchadnezzar actually learns that lesson, which makes Nebuchadnezzar sometimes a little bit more holy than us. Because uh, sometimes the Lord teaches us a lesson. It takes us a bit, but we, you know, luckily he hasn't driven us to eat, eat grass and, and, and have our hair grow out like, like feathers, except in the 80s, I think feathered was a good thing. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar learns his lesson. Nebuchadnezzar learns, what lesson does he learn? Nebuchadnezzar learns that God's will is done on earth and in heaven. Look at what he says in verse 35 of Daniel 4. Daniel 4 verse 35. This is the great lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned about the Lord. The Lord who wanted to teach him, I rule over the kingdom of men. I rule. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. Right, we know that, we know that. We know he does everything according to his will as heaven. But what's the next? And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God does whatever he wills among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of heaven, but he also does whatever he will amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stop him from doing it. 
No one. You can't stop him. I can't stop him. This random choice that we make is not going to stop God's will. God's will is not this precarious thing that's only slightly more, uh, slightly more fragile than the presence of the Holy Spirit in a worship service, right? That is, well, there you did. You done quenched him. Uh, God's will is not something that's sort of tentatively, you know, wavering. Is his will going to be done or, or not? And, and I, I don't know, you know, what, what is David going to do? And that's going to be the, you know, God, the host of heaven is just sort of up there watching. And is God's will going to be done? You know, is David going to choose door one or door two? And that's going to make all the outcome. What's Chris going to do with this life? I mean, which way, which way is he going to go? And oh, there goes my will. God says, no one can stay his hand. And no one can even say, what have you done? God's will is done in heaven and on earth. To think that God's will isn't done on earth would, according to this story, make you dumber than an ox. Uh, but let's talk about things that are outside God's will. What about those things? What about things that are outside? So, so many times Christians try to explain away God's will. They like to say that there are things that happen. So this is what there are things that happen that that's not God's will. So they'll say things like, well, God had nothing to do with that. So this event occurred, God had nothing to do with this. He, he would have, you know, he would have stopped it if he could have. He, he, he wanted it to stop. He didn't want this to happen because Christians become afraid to say that God is in control of really anything other than rainbows and redemption, right? But they forget the story that brought about the rainbow. I mean, let's so... But God doesn't have that fear. God doesn't have a fear to tell you, hey, guys, I'm in control of everything. And we go, but what about? And he goes, yeah, that too. Now, he just hinted at it in Daniel 4, right? When he said at the end of Daniel 4, in verse 35, when he said, no one can say to him, what have you done? So he's already hinted at the fact that God's going to do things. And some of us are going to go, why? Why? What is it? What have you done, God? Now, notice the question in that isn't, did God do this or not? There's already an assumption. Well, of course, if it happened, whose will brought it about? The Lord's. The question isn't, he doesn't say, no one can stay his hand and no one can say, who did this? That's not the question. Who did this? It wasn't God. Oh, it wasn't God. It It was, no one can say to him, what have you done? Now, that doesn't stop us from saying, what have you done? But the Bible, God, is, God himself is going to make clear in scripture that God's hand is in every situation, even the ones we would classify as horrible. God goes out of his way to make sure we know this because what does he know? We're going we're to be tempted to say God's will is done over all this good stuff. Like I said, rainbows and redemption, good natural events and the salvation of mankind. God's sovereignty is over that, but everything else is just kind of a mishmash of, of who knows what's going on. But God says, no, I'm, I'm in control of everything. There is nothing outside of my will. So for example, Isaiah 45 He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. This sounds, of course, very, very similar here uh, from what we saw in Isaiah 46. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. 
that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And there is no other. I form light. And I create darkness. I make well-being. If you're familiar with Hebrew words or even just Jewish words in general, I make shalom. I make shalom, peace, well-being. I make well-being and I create calamity. Now, this word is also the word that is used to describe things like evil things. But here, the, the context is certainly not that God is creating evil, but that calamitous events, bad events, not really the word bad, it's not really the Hebrew word bad, but I am the Lord who does what? Who does all these things? So when well-being comes, who did that come from? From whose hand? The Lord's. When calamity comes, where did that come from? From whose hand? The Lord. God's the one who tells us this. God God doesn't just even leave it up to us to understand. When God says, I do all things according to my will, that would have been enough for us to go, okay, so if it happened, it happened according to his will. Because is this this calamity part of all things? Yes, then I should know that's part of it. We don't even need this verse. Because we've got other verses that tell us everything he does is, is his will. Everything he pleases, he does. His will shall stand. No one can stop it. But here we see him go out and make crystal clear. I I create well-being and I create calamity. He is the one who says, I do all these things. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 37 and 38. Again, comparing us to the Lord and the fact that God is in control and that his will is done is what makes him different from us. But what does it say? He says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. In other words, if you say something and it happens, it's not because you were so wise or able to pontificate so well that you're like, I I pretty much know how things are going to go. God's like, it only happened because I commanded it to happen. Not because you were able to divine the divine mind or because you're so wise. Uh, You're just still a you. But look at what it says. Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? You and I, are not in control of anything in our lives. And hopefully by now, that has become very clear to you, right? But it's not always clear to us, which is God, why God has to tell us over and over again things like you can't make another hair grow on your head. You can't do it. You can't do anything. You, I mean, we, we're not in control. Even if You can't add a single breath to your life. Nothing. You're not in control of anything. And God says, but you know who is? Me. If another hair does happen to grow on your head, do you know who willed that? Do you know who commanded it? He says in Lamentations, I did. That's why it happened. It is from his mouth that both good and bad come. God says he is in control of everything, including the coming of good and bad. We try, we try because... I hope it's got, I hope it's creaturely foolish nobility, right? We will save God from being God. 
So we'll try and talk. Now, listen, he doesn't really, he's not really in control of every. We try to talk God's will out of things when God is the one who steps right into the middle of everything and says, it's me, good and bad, me. Well-being, calamity, me. God is the one who says that. He does not need us to rescue him from himself. He does not need our one semester of philosophy class to, to, to show us who God really needs to be. We do it because we think it, it will be comforting to know, oh, God didn't, didn't have anything to do with this. God didn't have anything to do with that situation. God didn't have anything to do with this going on or that going on. We assume it will be comforting, but the Bible tells us it is actually infinitely more reassuring to know that all events are his will and therefore if they are his will we can be certain that the ultimate greater purpose and good will come about that we may not and may never realize but if God is in control of everything, even the good and the bad, then we know that, the, that this is not meaningless. It's not purposeless. It's not just in the cosmic dice roll of humanity, I happen to crap out. If God is in control of this situation I'm going through, it's horrible. I'm saddened. I'm weeping. I'm crying. I'm wrenching, rending my clothes. If God is in control, I can know that the end outcome will be for my good and my glory and his glory. If he's not in control, I don't have that. I don't have that promise. If he's already lost control and this has already happened because he had no control over it. Well, then there's nothing to tell you this world. You're just at the start of the whirlpool. You may think you're at the bottom, but if God's not in control, you have no idea where this thing's going to suck you. But if God is in control of everything, every situation, if his counsel shall stand, if he will do whatever he pleases and no one can stop him. If he says, I make well-being and I make calamity from my mouth come good and bad. I am the one in control of all of these things. And what can we be certain of? We can be certain of things like Romans eight twenty-eight which says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know these things. We know that God is working them together for good. We can't have Romans 8 if God's will is not done. Romans 8 would be our greatest sort of wish, our greatest desire and not a foundation of certainty for everything that we go through. Why? Because I know that God's will is done, and I know that I was called according to his purpose, and I know if I was called according to his purpose, the rest of Romans 8 is going to work out. I know that glorification is the end of his purpose for me. He's already told me, and his will will be done. The end of my life is not going to be here and end in this and this horrible spiral that God's like, ah, I didn't see that coming either. The end is going to be for my good, for my glory and his glory with it. Because he is good. And because he is in control. If God's will is not done, 
And we do not have that hope. If we want to make things outside God's will, we see some calamitous event, we see something going on. One, we're disobeying and we're lying. We're disobeying because God said I'm in control. We're lying because God said I'm in control. So we're lying about God. We're disobeying because he says in his word he's in control of these things and we're going, eh, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I'm going to say you're like this. We're creating idols that are not real. We're making God the way we want him to be and we're doing it because we're fools because we think it would be better. And he says, the only reason you think that is because you are not God. Because if you knew, you would know that this is exactly what I must be. The Bible, in fact, says that God works all things according to his will. Roman, or Sorry, Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what does it say? God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Things in heaven, things on earth, peace, calamity, good, bad. They are all subject to his will. Will. So if you're saying, is this outside the will of God? The only way it can be outside the will of God is if it is outside the phrase, all things. Because here God says, I work all things according to the counsel of my will. So God states plainly in the Bible, his will is done on earth. His will is done in heaven, always has been, always is, and forever will be. And then he proves it. He proves it. And how does he prove it? He proves it to us in the confidence we get of the cross. It is in the cross that we can see the proving that God's will is done overall. Even, because even the most heinous event in human history, the murder of the son, the assassination of the Messiah, the slaughter of the Lamb of God was God's will. It was actually this hope that made the early church confident of their mission and of the expansion of God's kingdom. Certain that it, it, we know it was God's will over this most heinous event, and that's going to bring great good, that no matter what we go through, if God can take the worst evil in the world and bring about an even greater good, then whatever I might go through pales in comparison to what he's already proven he can do and does do. So, for example, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, one of the most famous sermons in Christian history, right? Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Peter doesn't shy away from God's hand in wicked events, the wicked events around the cross. Again, Peter, because he's read Psalms and, and, and he's read Lamentations and he, <coughs> excuse me, he's read Isaiah. He jumps in with both feet. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He tells us, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
Jesus, the son of God, why was he put on the cross? Well, because these guys and God wanted to do this and only if they had known, only if they'd have known. Jesus was delivered up because that was God's plan. That was his will. And rather than causing it, so see, Peter tells this and he doesn't jump into some great theodicy debate, right? Like Peter says this and then everyone's like, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me there's evil in this world. And so if God's in, that's not what it ends up happening. What happens when Peter says this? It says the saints were strengthened and 3,000 souls repented and believed. Or how about Acts chapter 4? The believers are facing great persecution and they're very well-timed praying. They're praying for boldness. Because they had, they, if you just, they'd just been told, don't preach or teach anything in the name of Jesus. That's what has just happened. Don't do it. They don't pray. When that happens, they don't pray. Now, God, we know this isn't your will for them to say that. We know it's not your will for them to put this great burden on us. In fact, they pray the exact opposite of that and take confidence in it. So look at where where's this boldness going to come from? This boldness that they're praying for is going to come from the fact that they know God's will is done even in the darkest of situations. And what they're going through, quit talking about Jesus or we're going to kill you, is nothing compared to what God has already shown he can do in his will. So Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 28 it says, and when they heard it, that's, they heard that they're not supposed to teach anything in his name anymore. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So everything that happened, everything that happened to Jesus, everything that Herod or Pilate or the Gentiles, even, and you remember what the Jews says, they're crying out, your blood be on us and on our children. Like everything that happened, the scheming, the choosing of Barabbas, like everything happened by God's hand in pl- and plan. They were predestined by him. What do they realize if the if the darkest choices in human history can happen by God's will? If Herod can choose to do evil things, if Pontius Pilate, if they can scheme together and become good friends because of all this evil that they've done together. If they can do those things by God's hand and predestination. Then we don't need to fear anything. If the greatest evil can be predestined to bring about an even greater good, then we have every reason to trust God no matter what comes into our life, no matter what we're going through, because the evil you're going through will never be greater than the evil of the cross. 
and look at the great good that brought God out of that, that God brought out of that. Why would you doubt that he could bring good out of this situation? How do you know that what you're going through is the will of God? Well, are you going through it? Then it is God's will. Peace or calamity, good or bad, it is all his will. How do you know, though, that it will be for your good? Look to the cross. Look to the cross where calamity births well-being. Where evil births shalom. Where evil brings about the greatest good. And all of it from beginning to end by God's will. Let's pray. Just take a moment to consider what we've talked about and just to pray the same way that that the early church prayed and asked for boldness, confidence in God. We, We want God's will to be done. That's what this prayer is about. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. But it is a prayer of reassurance. It is a prayer for boldness because we know those things are done. So I can be bold. So these believers can be bold because they know God's will is done. Help us to remember that this is your will. That's what they're praying. We're being persecuted, but we already know. Whether Herod or Pontius Pilate or the Gentiles or the Jews, your hand and plan predestined these things to take place so we can know you, your will is done in heaven and on earth over, over, over well-being and calamity, over good and bad. We know that, so give us confidence. Give us boldness. That God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be. It is, because it always has been. It is being done right now. So we can pray with confidence. We can say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can pray that with confidence. And we can live with that same confidence. It has been done. It is being done. And it will be done. Why? Because your God is truly God. And when you ever doubt that, or if you ever doubt if something is God's will, or if you ever wonder how any good can come from it, and you need a boost of confidence in your God, look to the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And see what God's hand and plan will always bring about. For your good, for your glory, and for his glory. Because he is good. Father, we come today and we thank you. We are, we are, our life, we're like ants, Father. We're like furtive little ants always shooting around all over the place, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. And we're just scurrying and scurrying. And, and Father, there seem so many things that can knock our life uh, out of skew and send us this way and that. And Father, to be reminded that you are in control of everything, that your will is done on earth and in heaven. And so we, we pray that, we ask that this would be done, knowing that you will do it, that you are doing it. You've always done it, Father, knowing that you are God. And so this prayer, this request becomes something of great confidence to us. And so when we're going through a dark time, we can say, your will be done. 
And we can know that the darkness we're going through is your will and therefore the light that you're going to bring from it, we can trust will be your will as well. We can know that you're not trying to grasp at some event that you already had no control over and you're hoping to get a hold of it and you're trying to slow it down just as much as we are. If instead we're able to say, look, this is your will. You have brought it to me. You've brought this into my life, but I know you are good and I know you're in control. And because of those two things, I know that I can not only just go through this, but I can glorify you in it. And in the end, I will be glorified because I have glorified you. Help us to remember those things. And when we forget, Father, fix our eyes on the cross. When we struggle and we need boldness, we need assurance, we need confidence. Give us the confidence of the cross. That if you can take that greatest of evil the world could do and bring about an even greater good, then what could you do with what we might be going through? We can only imagine. But even as we imagine, we do it in confidence in you and assurance that we know you work all things according to the purpose of your will in heaven and on earth and in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.